Good morning, church. It's good to be with everyone today here on campus as well as everyone watching online. My name is Ben Seaman, and I serve on staff here uh, as our lead minister. Before we jump into our text today, Lamentations, uh, I want to invite our church and those that have been watching and relatively new uh, to RCC to join us this Wednesday night at 7 p.m. for our starting point class. And you can text uh, towards to the number provided on the screen. Starting point is our one, uh, 101 sort of uh, entry point into the life of our church where you get to hear about us, what we believe, our mission, our pathway, as well as ask questions. So uh, I would love to meet you. It'll be an online conversation through Zoom uh, this Wednesday at 7 o'clock for about 30 or 45 minutes. Uh, yes, even the church still continues in a global pandemic. We will not stop inviting people uh, to journey with Jesus. So if that's something that you're into or you would benefit from, I encourage you to sign up and would uh, glad to meet you as well as our journey team this Wednesday uh, at 7 o'clock. Uh, today is week five of our teaching series, Reset uh, for Reentry. And I don't know if it's the most important week, that's probably subjective, uh, but it's very critical. And so today we're going to talk about uh, resetting our laments or our lamenting. Uh, number one question I get as a pastor, number one question you probably get if you're sharing your faith or people feel comfortable enough talking to you about faith is if God is good, <clears throat> why does suffering happen, right? Why the Holocaust is usually where most folks go. And I, and I get that language. I get it. And I get this idea that um, we might consider ourselves good or good people. I, I do. I, I get that. It's a great platform to live a life apart from God. But if you read the scriptures, there really isn't, no, there really isn't such thing as a good and bad in terms of how God sees the world. God sees the world through his son and everybody else. Uh, Jesus is the only one that's ethically righteous, and we are all sinners in need of righteousness and grace, and yet suffering still happens. Now, one of the reasons why I'm a Christian is because Jesus always teaches a third way of doing something outside of really what our culture does. And the same is true for suffering and grief and even, oddly enough, getting through a global pandemic. Maybe we don't get through it, but maybe that's another sermon. And so really, the, the two ways um, that we're going to talk about in Lamentations and we'll explore more here in just a few minutes, that people deal with grief. One of those ways is that we just sit in it, right? And so I talked to Beth Gagnon, local social worker. She's been a member at RCC for a really long time. There is, there is benefit in sitting in your grief, right? But I'm talking about sitting in it to the point where you don't reach out, you don't get help, and you let the worst moment of your life define you. In spiritual formation, we call that a death story, that thing that really, like you would go still go to church your whole life, but you, would, you probably would say you don't really feel alive. You know, when Jesus talks about, I've come to give life to the fullest, you'd say, I, I don't know that I've ever experienced that. So one way to grieve is to just sit in it and be defined by it. Another way to grieve that we're going to find out in the text is to run away from it to minimize it, to say, you know what, this is really a terrible experience, but I'm going to do everything I can to look at it at a really shallow level, because uh, I don't really want to think deeply, uh, because that's hard. And, and I get that. I get why some folks would have those responses. And yet Jesus teaches a third way to deal with uh, grief, and that's through lamenting. 
It's not just crying. It's just not feeling sad. It's the gospel way of working through difficult seasons uh, in our lives. So today we're going to look at the book of Lamentations. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to bring it when you come. If you don't have one, uh, you can always download the Version Bible app on your smartphone and follow along with us there. Especially if you're new to the Bible, the Bible app, the Version Bible app has a ton of reading plans. You could literally search any topic and well, depending on what you search, uh, a Bible study reading plan will likely pop up for you. It's a great resource if you're new to the Bible. Now, let me give you a little bit of background of lamentations, right? Uh, chances are, uh, if you're like me, you've avoided lamentations because it's sort of the like womp, womp, Debbie Downer book of the Bible because it's like lamentations, right? You know it's not a happy Hallmark card. Well, here's the background of lamentations in, in short. Obviously, I always mean more than what I say. Um, the, uh, the Israelites were overtaken by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. It's, one of, it's during his second siege of uh, the Israelite community. And it was utter, total destruction. Now, uh, this isn't happening, thank God, to us right now during the pandemic, but I think the feeling of grief is similar, right? And so <clears throat> what that would look like if it happened to us today, it would, it would look like the Salem High School, the new multi-million dollar incredible building that we have in our community that's drawing young families to our community, completely lit up in flames. Um, your favorite restaurant or go-to place, completely torn down, vandalism, graffiti all over the Salem community. Actually, it got so bad. There's an uh, artist renditioning of what King Nebuchadnezzar did. I want to show it to you in a second. He actually camped out, or his people camped out outside of the Jerusalem city, outside of the Israelite community, and allowed the Israelites to starve to death. So bad that they actually turned to cannibalism and were eating one another just to stay alive. This is overwhelming trauma and grief that a person can go through, right? Uh, we, we probably, in our country, can't really identify with that uh, because through our incredible men and women that fight in the military, our strong defenseism, uh, America is usually a superpower, um, and it's hard to sort of emotionally go there with that. But I want you to empathize with the Israelites in the sense of the grief and struggle that you have felt over the last four to, I mean, now we're kind of flirting with five to six months uh, of COVID-19. Different scenario, but same feelings. And so what I want to talk about is how Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, how he's writing to the Israelite community. Now, these uh, five chapters or so are not to be written or not to be read literally, uh, but metaphorically. These are allegoric poetic poems to describe the grief and trauma, which is, I think, the beauty of art. It gives us language when we don't know what to say. And so as we think about lamenting, number one, lamenting is asking God for the bigger picture. God, give me the whole picture of what is happening in my life. Because sometimes I think, I don't think I know this to be true, we get so fixated, like we get tunnel vision on one thing about one thing, particularly a tragedy. And maybe you're like me, you have friends that 
uh, in light of COVID-19 and some other things that have happened in our country, it's like everything they talk about, everything they post about is the same thing over and over and over and over again. Like if you were a band and you wrote 10 songs for an album, every song would have the same note. Like you're just playing the A chord the entire time. Like we get your position, please move on. But that's what grief does. Our minds, I'm stealing this from Dr. Henry Cloud, a Christian psychologist, our minds are like maps. And so when we are on the couch late at night watching sports, like I do at least, and I kind of get hungry and I'm bored, to be honest with you, that's when I eat, I get up and go to the kitchen and open the refrigerator to get food because I know what? The refrigerator is there because it's impossible to move. It's big. What happens during trauma is that our mind maps get so disoriented, it's as if we walk into the kitchen and we cannot figure out how in the world did a love seat land right in the middle of the kitchen? Does that make sense? Like, because I could have sworn about three months ago, uh, there was all the living room furniture were it was in the living room. Does, does that make sense? Trauma has a way of throwing out normalcy and really you know, inviting us to be like, what actually is the new normal? The same is true with the Israelites. And so let's jump into the text this weekend. In chapter 1, verse 1, this is Jeremiah grieving over and for the Israelite community. One other quick thing you need to know about. You're going to hear the, the pronoun her or she a lot. It's a metaphor. It's a reference to the Israelite nation. Okay, uh, Women uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, and even today, if I'm going to be quite frank, are often treated as the weaker sex, uh, are often treated as someone or something to dominate. Now, if the Song of Solomon was a, which it is, about a couple falling in love and the writer talking about their wedding night and the sexual intimacy they share, this is the opposite of that. Uh, Jeremiah is going to use really strong, violent language of a perpetrator coming into someone's home and assaulting them. Th- th- this is how tense this situation is, and which I can appreciate about the scripture because it doesn't hide from reality. So this is what Jeremiah laments over. How deserted lies this city, once so full of people, right? This is the place to be. Jerusalem, Israel, it had vibrancy. Now it's dead. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She was queen among the provinces and now she's become a slave. To who? To the Babylonian Empire. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears on her cheeks among all her lovers. There is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. I'm going to talk a little bit more about covenant language in a few minutes, but it is like us. It is like the church. It is like the Israelite community for us to constantly break covenant with our God. And we run after lovers less wild than Jesus that we think will add value to our lives. This is exactly what the Israelites did, and it burned them. Jeremiah continues to write, verse 3, after affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. 
All who pursue her have overtaken her. That's that violent assault language Jeremiah is using in the midst of her distress. Not only are the Israelites dominated in war, but they're kicked out. They have to move to a place uh, with new people, new languages. They have to find new restaurants, new way of living. It's completely out of the realm of possibility. Maybe if you've ever gone on a mission trip where English wasn't the primary language, you can kind of get a sense of what that might feel like. In verse 4, the roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed festivals. No one comes to church anymore. No one comes to celebrate. They've given up on Yahweh. All her gateways are desolate. Her priests are groaning. All of the pastors, or the priests, but let's use 2020 language, all of the pastors have no idea what's going on. Can I get an amen, right? Yeah. I missed that class in Bible college, how to lead a church through a pandemic. Probably similar to be faithful to Jesus, and hopefully over time things will work out. Verse 6, all the splendor has departed from the daughter of Zion. You ever had uh, someone go through a, a, a traumatic experience and the light in their eye is gone? That's what Jeremiah is saying. Her princes are like deer that find no pasture. There's no nourishment for the Israelite community, right? In weakness, they have fled before the pursuer. In the days of her affliction and wondering, Jerusalem remembers all of the treasures that were in days of old. Like trauma does that to us. We want to remember when because it's hard to accept our current reality when we go through difficult times. When her people fell into enemy's hands, there was no one to help her. Her enemies looked at her and laughed at her destruction. Pretty vivid and really strong language. And so what I'd like to do um, in the, with our time left is talk about, I, I, I hope uh, I'm close to it, what the Israelites are actually lamenting over. And so when we're asking God, God, in my suffering, in this season of COVID-19 or global pandemic, would you give me a full picture <clears throat> of what you're actually up to? Instead of a very narrow-minded thing that I keep posting about or I keep thinking about, it's consuming my thoughts and my heart that I'm not actually giving it over to you. Do you actually know, there's a, um, this is for free. It's not really in my notes. There's a word in the New Testament uh, to describe that activity. It's called lusting. In Hebrews, actually lusting is a good thing. In Hebrews, the angels lust over the scriptures. They love God's word. They, they cannot take their focus off of it. This is precisely what the Israelites are doing, and this is precisely what we are doing, what I've seen people do throughout the last four to six months. They lust after, they get so fixated on one thing, an issue, or this or that, that they're willing to break all relationships, all social awareness for the sake of holding on to this one thing. The Israelites are grieving their loss of sense of place in the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, uh, they're just called Pharisees. They're Jewish people, leaders, but they're just called Pharisees. In the Old Testament, there was this belief that, uh, which, you know, I don't fault the Israelites, before the Ten Commandments dropped, God said, I will be your God and you will be my people and I'll walk with you. Before relationships, uh, before, I'm sorry, the rules, the Ten Commandments, came the covenant of relationship. But what we can tend to do, and where uh, pastors who don't know how to preach the Bible get, get, uh, get it twisted, is that we 
teach people legalism, which says, if you behave well, then God will love you, right? But God knows us. He created us. And God says, you're going to mess this up. So I'm going to send Jesus. And if you follow him, right, I will love you. I will accept you. It's that covenant relationship we'll talk to in a moment. But they actually thought, right, I'm on team Yahweh, right? God loves us over any other nation, over any other country. And I have seen folks process this pandemic wondering how in the world, this is their love seat in the kitchen statement or grieving process, um, how in the world would God allow this to happen to us in America? I thought God loved us. I mean, after all, uh, we sing God bless America versus sporting entertainment events before we even play those games. Doesn't God love America? Doesn't God want to bless America? And the answer is no. God doesn't love America. God doesn't love any country. God loves the world. He does not care where your toes hit the sand and what country you're in or what borders can find you or what rivers and streams and mountains you live in between. God loves the world. But if our sense, it's okay to love your country, we call that patriotism, but where it gets really dangerous is when we trade patriotism in for nationalism, where we say we love Jesus with our lips but our hearts are dominated not by the kingdom of God, but towards our political bent. And the Israelites could not, for the life of them, understand why God would allow a wicked king like Nebuchadnezzar, and we'll get there in a minute, to completely, utterly destroy them. Friends, um, you can read the Bible in so many different ways. I love it. It's so engaging. One of the ways that you can read the Bible is you can read the themes of the six covenants that God has with humanity. The first one is between God and Adam. So basically between a husband and a wife, right? What's the rule of the covenant? Don't eat the tree. You know what happens, right? The second covenant is between uh, God and Noah. So it's between a husband and a wife and their kids. What's the deal? Build a boat. Build a boat, I'll save you, right? Pretty simple. Next is between Abraham, his kids, and his grandkids. What's the deal with that covenant? Abraham, go move somewhere where you don't know anybody, and I'll bless you with kids upon kids, and the nation of Israel will look up to you. Abraham is like, I can't believe I'm saying this, the Tom Brady of the Old Testament, right? (laughs) He's like the main character of the Old Testament. I mean, obviously, you know, don't send me emails. Jesus is the main character, but you kind of get what I'm saying. Next is Moses and the promise between Moses leading, leading an entire nation. And then with David, it's a promise between a whole nation and any other nation that aligns with David's nation. And the sixth and final covenant is between Jesus and the world. What's the, what's the agreement of terms with Jesus? That you would repent of your sin, believe Jesus is God, Express that faith publicly in baptism and spend the rest of your life in a love affair with your heavenly father in the person of Jesus. Now, notice what happens in the covenant. The grace becomes wider and wider and wider and wider. It starts between a couple and it ends up being for the entire world. 
You see, in 1 John 2, 2, the writer says, I write this, John is the writer, surprise, uh, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Basically, Jesus is your defense lawyer, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of what? America? Jerusalem? Canada? Definitely not Canada. No, for the world! God loves the world. He does not care where you live. His love for you is not bound by borders, rivers, roads, streams, and or mountains. But the Israelites could not comprehend because they thought, like, you know, we're in the best country. We're God's people. God would not allow this to happen. And yet he did. I got to move on. I could be here forever. The second thing that they're wrestling with is uh, their relationship with God. Lamentations 2.7. Jeremiah continues the, the lamenting. Listen to this. The Lord has rejected his altar and abandoned his sanctuary. Jesus says, uh, or Yahweh says, shut it down. I'm not going to church anymore. This is a big deal in the Old Testament. Why? <clears throat> because God lived in a building right? God's presence was in the temple. God's presence was in the holy of holies, and God says, I'm shutting it down. He has given the walls of his palace into the hands of the enemy, the Babylonians. They have raised a shout in the house of the Lord as on the day of an appointed festival. In other words, God has allowed not only the Babylonians to overtake the Israelites, he's allowed them, you know, for 2020 purposes, come into the worship room of RCC and collectively these army, these men, like swords, military gear, like ready to do whatever they, they begin to laugh and mock Yahweh. They begin to laugh and mock anybody that followed Yahweh. So maybe they would throw up some graffiti. Maybe they, you know, probably no one's around. They've already won the war. They're bashing out windows. They're drawing inappropriate things on walls, completely decimating this worship space. Because they don't, they're not, they're, they're from a pagan culture. They don't really believe in Yahweh anyways. And God allows this to happen. Uh, sadly, um, I have seen too many pastors utilize social media, particularly the Facebook Live feature, um, to get on their social media. And some of them have shticks where they say like really aggressive things to get followers and to get them on their YouTube channel. It's really sad that we live in a culture where pastors try to build a platform. I've seen pastors actually say, this you know, government mandate of you have to wear a mask to the church is a direct assault on our rights. And you know, the government is you know, telling the church what to do, and we need to be bold, and we need to open our doors. We're not wearing a mask. Problem is, um, if this happened in 2020, um, and we get to the benefit of being in 2020 is looking at the scriptures in the rearview mirror, we would have missed it. Because in the Old Testament, it's God that's shutting down the church. It's God that's pushing out his people for, for their wickedness and their sin. And I'm not asking you to agree with me or disagree with me. I'm asking you to meet me in the tension of the thought that I'm putting before you. And if God is active, 
in part of shutting the churches down, as he was in, um, as he was in Lamentations, what is he trying to teach us? You can find that out for yourself in Lamentations. Go home and read uh, chapters 3, 4, and 5. But what is he inviting us into? Uh, Jesus did not die for our rights. He died for our freedom. And he was taken advantage of willingly when he was murdered on a cross before his family. And when we care about our rights more than the freedom of other people, we have traded in the kingdom of God for nationalism. That's a very scary place to be. The Israelites could not comprehend, right? We're the chosen ones. Why would God allow so much death and destruction? And then the pastors freak out. Rightly so. I would too. All the churches are going down. All The temple is going down. What is happening? That's when we get to decide, do we sit and let this thing, COVID-19, for them a, a war, do we allow this to define us, or do we run away from it? Or maybe there's a third option. There is. It's called lamenting. And lamenting asks for the bigger picture, but also lamenting asks us to stay, to not run, to not allow hard things to define us. And, and Jeremiah, man, he warns, this is, it's amazing, like even Lamentations, how applicable it is to our culture today right? Because the word of God is alive and active. Lamentations 2.14, the visions of your prophet were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin, because that, that's what's happening here, right? Churches, Christians sinning at a faster pace than non-Christians, right? They did not take the gravity of the situation seriously. The prophecies that gave you, <clears throat> that they gave you were false and misleading. So after, after the political thing happens, after, after the armies come in, then the charlatans come in, right? Then the out-of-town preachers and prophets come in, but they're not God's prophets. They're Babylonian prophets, and they're offering the Israelites an easier way <clears throat> to process pain, sin, suffering, and death. And Jeremiah says, don't do it. Stop listening to them. Because they're not willing to say the hard thing. Because you broke covenant with the Father. The Father is allowing this to happen to you. And what is the one thing we want to do, church, with our sin? Push it down and run away from it. Jeremiah says, don't do it. Don't, don't. <clears throat> they're also being moved out into exile, which is like a recurrent thing of the Jews in the Old Testament which is why they hoped Jesus would overthrow the Roman Empire. But he had other plans. <clears throat> he says, don't listen to these people, right? Stop listening to people that tell you what you already know and don't challenge you. <sighs> Jeremiah 29, 8 through 9, he's reflecting on this text. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets, Babylonian prophets, and, divine, and diviners, so now we're getting into demonic things, you know, hand reading, de deviation, kind of sort of palm reading, hand reading, what? Palm reading stuff. Among you, they'll deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams. You encourage them. 
I don't want to go to church to figure this out, but I'll go to somebody else. I'll go to a palm reader. I'll go to my best friend. I'll go to this person or that person, but I will not go to church. He says, do not listen to them. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. They are pimping out the name of Yahweh so that you would listen to them more. And probably they'd probably charge money's usually involved with these sorts of things. Don't do it. You know what Jeremiah says in verse 29, 7? Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which you have carried, which has carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, prospers, you too will prosper. And what, and what Jeremiah is saying is, yes, you've been exiled, but don't look at it like it's a loss. You're in a new city, new people, new restaurants. You got to learn a new language. Decide to be for those people that are pagans, that are not Jesus followers. Don't allow this to define you. Be where you are for the city that you're in. Let me tell you something, church. Over the last six months, people that have no interest in Jesus, because it's um, church and religion I have found in New England is very formal. Sit up, stand down, sit up, stand down, and do not ask any questions because you will feel this small. Those people that I've been in relationship with over the last two years that I've been here, today's uh, my second anniversary here, those people have asked me, will you pray for me? And they don't actually, they don't know if it works, but this is equivalent to them as us, me giving them a Hallmark card, which is fine. Be present for your community in this really difficult time. Do not be known as the crazy person that plays the A chord every time they post something online or talk about this to somebody else. Be for our city. Lastly, lament invites uh, us to reset our hope. This is the good stuff. This is the Jesus stuff. I'm not going to hit you over the head and walk away. I'm going to give you some hope. In uh, Lamentations 3, 19 through 24, Jeremiah writes, I remember my affliction and my wondering. This is a prophet. This is a pastor confessing. I remember when I was wondering, and I was bitter, and I had gall. I, I will remember them. And listen to this. My soul is downcast within me. That's a Hebrew, Hebrew expression, honestly, to say I was depressed. I was down in the dumps. A writer of the Bible, that is a prophet that hears from God, and their job is to communicate to the Israelite community. I was wondering, and I was down in depression, yet, listen to this, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. Now, now this is, this is going to wow you, at least it should. They are never, sorry, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What's that word faithfulness mean? It means fidelity. It's language of covenant. Even though I was wondering, even though I was down in the dumps, depressed over what has happened, even though the Israelite community got super creative in how they sinned against you, God, you still remain faithful to us. You are not filing for divorce. And he says, the Lord is my portion. And because of that, I will wait for him, even in a very difficult, overwhelming season that we and the Israelites find ourselves in. The Lord is good. 
to those who hope is in him, and to the one who seeks him, it is good to wait, listen to this, quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Um, one of the tensions that frustrates a lot of people is, if God is good, why is there so much bad stuff happening? And some of God's wrath is fueled by our sin. I mean, Romans 1 talks about that. But what, for me, and I know I carry a heavy weight because I'm the lead communicator here. For me, what I find most beautiful about that question is that at least we get to know how far God will travel to suffer for us, to be the propitiation of our sins, to die on a cross in our place that we should have been ourselves. Jesus walked out of heaven, or however that, however that worked out, lived among us in real time in history. You can read non-Christian theologians that back this up. Suffered the wrath of God so that we might know that if we repent, we can come back home to God. That is the hope of lamenting. To ask God, give me the biggest picture of what's happening Help me to be for my community and remind me of the hope of the gospel in the midst of overwhelming pain and suffering. Let's go do that this week, church, because there's a lot of people that need the hope of the gospel, not our opinions. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the outlet and the gift of lamenting, uh, primarily because it calls us Well, that's passive. It commands us to call things by their right name. And there's a lot of really hard stuff that's happening in the last six months. The weight of this has, I mean, it's broken up marriages. It's affected our mental health. We're struggling. And we don't want to (laughs) be like the Israelites in the sense of, we're just going to give in to the charlatans. We're just going to give in to the easy answer. We're just going to give in to the good-looking pastor on YouTube that's really nice but isn't telling us the truth. Like, we're not going to do that. We're going to be here for our city. We're going to be here for our community. And we're going to remind people of the hope of the gospel that we have. That our God does not break covenant. And when we break covenant, he sends his one and only son to tell us that it's okay to come home and you still love us. And God, help us not to miss all of the hurting people in our circle of influence that just casually say, I'm fine. But give us the spirit of discernment and the level of love and compassion to call the love of God out of them and to put it before their very eyes. And to encourage them with a sense of, I don't know why this is happening right now, but I do know how far my God is willing to go to suffer for your sin. And why I don't know that there is suffering in this world, I cannot deny within my soul how wicked it is and how I've lived my life. I have caused immense amount of pain and suffering to the people that have been most closest to me. Remind us of your gospel. You give us the whole picture. You invite us to stay and to be with people. 
and to encourage them of the hope that they can have. That God does not walk away when things get hard. That's when he begins to move. Remind us of that and give us somebody this week to tell them about the hope that we have. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.